You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And this week we're going through The Last Amneville, which is actually a remake of the first Amneville. But we need someone to come back in our journey of watching all this franchise. She's our bookends of the beginning and end of this franchise. Ashley, welcome back for Amneville 2005. Houses here are way out of our price range. When the business is good, we're going to have the greatest house. It's beautiful. This is an amazing house. You are going to love it. Holy. This is the deal of a lifetime. So, what's the catch? There was a crime, a, a murder. In the house? There's several people, a family. Accused claims he heard voices coming from within the house. Well, houses don't kill people. To a perfect house and to a perfect family. Who are you talking to? The girl who lives in my closet. And what's her name? Jody. What's the matter? Just seeing things, I guess. Why don't you come back to bed? I can't sleep. There was a family lived here some time ago. They had a similar problem. I'm living in their house. I need to get out of here. Just back up and go. Everything we have is in this house. It's okay, mommy. Jody won't hurt you. The man who lives here, he says he's bad. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here for this film. <laughs> Yes. And did you work out as much as Ryan Reynolds to get ready for this film? I have never been more shredded in my life. (laughs) Following specifically his routine of extreme axe chopping. Oh, yes. And, And being very violent towards kids without actually hitting them. Yes. Yes. Forcing them to hold the logs while I chop ferociously. I know that kid. I was like, "Yeah, man, I'd be afraid too. I'd get, I'd get out of there, kid." Woo! He is terrifying. The most for that child, as I'm sure we will get into. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between him and Brolin. Brolin, I felt, was like being eaten from the inside. He was like, his eyes were blackened, and he was really gross. He's intimidating because he's bigger. There's something different about Ryan Reynolds. Not only is he shredded, but the way he talks is so intimidating. Oh, yeah. I think uh, it's crazy. It's how it's a reboot in a way because there are subtle differences between the two. Yeah, I think his characterization plays it a little differently. Like Brolin was that classic, like, I don't know, just manly man, like carpenter. He it was very community based, whereas like Ryan Reynolds in this one is 
very much just like, hey, he's the sweet kind of stepdad-ish figure, and then he's an absolute psychopath. Yeah, he does a really good job of turning. I, I thought it was very convincing. I thought both of the performances by Brolin and Reynolds were convincing, but I just like Ryan Reynolds' like twist a little bit more. But part of me wonders if that's because I've seen him be so goofy for so long. He can play dark, you know, and it shows here. And he is, he's scary. And I, I agree with you guys, it's a different kind of scary. And I think it is because you're so disarmed by the beginning, too, with how nice and how good he is with those kids and stuff like that. And he's funny guy Ryan Reynolds still at the beginning. And then, yeah, in a, in a relatively short movie, he turns pretty quickly or pretty hard in that halfway point in the movie. I do enjoy that the decision rather than like you were talking about Brolin's like kind of, he looks hauntingly ill, like pale and hollowed eyes and everything like that. Like those classic tropes. Um, Whereas the Ryan Reynolds one, this is more of a gory film because it's in that two thousands era when movies were just a little bit bloodier, a little bit skeezier kind of, but his eyes are like bloodshot, gross red the entire time, like blood vessels. It's unsettling to look at him when he is in those moments. Yeah, even his eyes were working out. (laughs) (laughs) They got too swole. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The one thing I always remember about this is how like mid 2000s, the VHS and DVD cover was. It's like floating heads. (laughs) of Ryan Reynolds and uh, Melissa George uh, floating in the air. In the, like, over the house, right? Yeah, over the house, of course, yeah. It's, all red, right? Yeah, and nice. all red. <laughs> um, but uh, it's beyond just this cover. This movie is so... A cover, movie itself, advertising for it. Like It's so 2005, and I love that. This is one of my favorite eras of horror movies is the uh, early to mid-2000s, so... This is this fits right in, and I it it does feel like definitely part of that kind of saw hostile era. Oh yeah, it's everything like the Platinum Dunes was redoing, you know, Amityville Horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all, you know, and it's funny because we differ so much. This is one of my well, I guess some of the '90s is my least favorite of the horror franchise or the horror time period. 80s is more mine and yours is more mid 2000s. So that's kind of funny because a lot of these I just skipped because I was this was the time period of like we were churning everything out to be redone and just get on the assembly line. Let's make some money off these. And I understand that from a business standpoint, but from a, you know, a viewer standpoint, I was like, oh, God, over and over. But they were doing that shit in the 80s, too. So eh, whatever, as long as uh, (laughs) some of them are enjoyable. You know, it, it's horror movies. Don't take them too seriously. Just have some fun. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the, you know, the movies like The Saws and The Hostels and Texas Chainsaws kind of have gone on to become cult classics or whatever from this time period. And this one it doesn't really get talked about as much, but uh, it does absolutely fit in. And I'm glad you mentioned like Platinum Dunes and Texas Chainsaw Massacre because this movie's almost kind of modeled after that Texas Chainsaw remake with the opening of like the true crime footage. And then we kind of get the story and then it's bookended by the end part with the crime footage. So it, it does feel like it was modeled after the way they did that Texas Chainsaw remake. Yeah, but we didn't get a lot of butt cams. 
we didn't do the seventies butt shots like uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw did, but uh, it did. We get a lot of Ryan Reynolds shredded like abs. I think it's a sexy movie. I would say that this is like a sexy horror movie, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It's not super graphic or whatever, but yeah, like Melissa George. I and, think it highlights and, their sexual yeah, energy, yeah. and that kind of comes across with like the Brolin and Kidder. Oh, yeah, Kidder dynamic because it's like yeah, they're hot and fresh and like functioning and then they move in this house and it's just like the absolute opposite of who they are Mm -hmm. so it's like the sexy is immediately taken away especially when you have ghost children watching you bone your lady (laughs) (laughs) that's much worse than the dog yeah (laughs) yeah you don't want hanging dead kids ghost children (laughs) mouth agape looking at you She's like, what's wrong? And then he's or he's just like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm like, dude, you just saw a little ghost girl hang herself. Like, you clearly cannot continue in this this mindset. In this Take five. Intimate <laughs> moment. Take five after that. And maybe let her know that you're seeing shit like that. <laughs> I, he just immediately is like, oh, I don't feel well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you look like you don't feel well. <laughs> no one feels well after that. <laughs> Let's uh let's describe well we've already described the front. It's red, we got the floating heads, but we have from the top here from Michael Bay, the producer of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Amneville Horror. It's red. Uh, the lights are coming out from the classic windows, the front of the house, which we have on two thirds of these movies. Uh we get what happened over the next 28 days has never been explained. Okay, yes, it has a lot. Okay, we've got <laughs> books. Eight, eight times prior and a bunch of books and a bunch of TV specials. <laughs> that was one thing right when I saw this cover. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like if it would have been like, you're not going to believe what happened in 28 days in this house or something like that. Of course it's been explained. Like, way too much. Ah, whatever. (laughs) It's never been explained like this. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we do get kind of like an origin story of the house with this one that we don't get in the other one with the Ketchum character. So maybe that's what they're referring to. It is more historical in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it goes beyond the DeFeo. Right, right. Which is pretty much where all the other movies kind of had stopped. Yeah, this movie felt like it was trying to connect you to the characters more. Because, uh, I mean, showing DeFeo's face at the beginning, going through the house, shooting the characters. In the first one, you just kind of get muzzle shots and it's all black. Uh, this one, you know, it seems like Ryan Reynolds is being nicer to the kids. I felt more connected to the characters in this one, while the first one was more of like a spooky house. We're telling it through the house's eyes. Yeah. That's how I felt the differences were on this. And... You know, we'll describe what we like better when we get into this film. But, uh, you know, of course, we got to have based on a true story at the bottom. That was all the rage in this time. (laughs) Let's get into the back here. We've got a terrific scare show from Kevin Thomas. Los Angeles Times. Yeah, it's Kevin Thomas. Almost said Thompson. From Michael Bay, the producer of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, comes the true story of Amneville. In November 1974, a family of six was brutally murdered. Now a year later, an unsuspecting young couple, George Lutz, which is played by Ryan Reynolds of Blade Trinity, The In-Laws, and Kathy Lutz, which is Melissa George from TV's Alias, and their children move into the house that was the site of the horrific event that is now haunted by a murderous presence, 
What follows is 28 days of unimaginable terror. With demonic visions of the dead and relentless screams of terror, this is the haunted house story that just isn't a movie. It's real! It's got flies on it, which, you know, the flies are back. Um, a terrific scare show, but with the house underneath it has the kid. And then it has Get Out in it with Ryan Reynolds being, you know, sexy and terrifying. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's well, two pictures. They've got one where he's sexy scary, and they've got one where he's just scary. And I'm like, <laughs> they are really playing up Ryan Reynolds here. And I mean, kudos to them. They knew he was going to be a star. I just think it was written all over it. Yeah, he's already a star. I remember... I. This is special to me. I don't know if I talked about this in the first one because I was like, I got to come back for the Rye Ren one because mm-hmm. he was like one of my biggest crushes growing up. I remember first seeing him in Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place. Mm-hmm. And I just thought he was a little dreamboat. And then he became this hilarious comedy god who happened to be pretty ripped. And then Blade Trinity happened, which it's good that it mentions that on the back because like that's clearly the reason he's so shredded in this is all of that intense prep for a superhero movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the two of them came out six months apart. Yeah. So, yeah. And then he went on to do Smoke and Aces, which I thought he looked great in as well. <laughs> like He just pulls it off very well. Yeah, he's the full package. <laughs> he is. He's funny, he can do drama, he can be ripped, he can, I mean, whatever you want. He just can do it. He's got that Brad Pitt appeal. Yeah, he's got it. And that's why he's lasted. That's why he's Deadpool. That's, you know, why he can command roles in Hollywood. That's why he got to be Deadpool two different times. (laughs) Like, he just has, he's like, no, I understand that that was unacceptable. Let me do it right because I know you want to see me do it right. (laughs) And we're all like... Yes, forgiven, please do it right. And then we got two movies of that. <laughs> with Brolin, baby. Yeah, with Brolin. <laughs> he it's amazing to me. He has been in three superhero films that people as a whole do not like. You have the the X-Men Origin Wolverine, you have where he played Deadpool. You have him in Green Lantern, which people Ooh. can't stand. And you have him, yeah, like you said, in Blade 3, Blade Trinity, which a lot of people cannot stand. And it kind of killed the Blade franchise. completely wrong. Blade Trinity is wonderful. Blade, Tr- <laughs> Blade Trinity is a trash masterpiece. It's wonderful. Mark Posey's in that. Triple Dom- H is in that. <laughs> Triple H. Dominic Purcell. These are A-list names <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> Well, he can do all three of these and then come back and just be a superstar in Deadpool. Oh, yeah. I mean, he must walk into a room and people are like, whatever you want, bud. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) But he stays humble about it. I know. And that's the thing about him, too, is he's so fun. Like, he just does a bunch of weird stuff online, you know, where he he does it for so little money because he's just like, that sounds fun. We can't pay you much. I don't care. I'm rich. I don't don't care. (laughs) That's why it is so upsetting to see like he's the fun guy. And like you said in the very beginning of the movie, he has like this close connection with one of the kids, the older son, who's like probably like 12, 13. He's really struggling with like the idea of a new father figure. And then by the middle point in the movie, I'm sure he was like, wow, I should have gave him a chance when he was a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. Because that house ravages this man's mind. Putting the tape in here. Now available on video and DVD. 
We got a lot of trailers, so I'm just going to fly through this. Uh, we've got The Legend of Zorro from 2005. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we've got Fun with Dick and Jane, 2005. <laughs> remakes, remakes, remakes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen the Fun with Dick and Jane one time, and I think I was done. Me too. Me too. And I didn't mm-hmm. like it. I thought it was fine, but I never wanted to see it again. Which means it's not fine. <laughs> it's just boring. <laughs> it's a one and done. It's a one and done. I've seen it. I'm not mad about it, but I'm not going back for more. Uh, this is one I forgot about, Into the Blue. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love these, like... Sweaty. Yeah, these wet 2000 summer kind of movies that typically feature Jessica Alba <laughs> um, and Paul Walker, I guess. Uh, I love these kind of movies. I haven't seen Into the Blue, though, probably since the 2000s, so it'd be fun to go back and revisit. There seemed like there were a lot of surfer movies in the mid-2000s, like some type of surfing or swimming. Yes. Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. Never see it. <laughs> I've, I think I've seen this one and I really didn't like it. I, re- I like the first one okay, but then I saw this one and I was like, no, this isn't working anymore. <laughs> oh, here's one that uh, apparently didn't work. I've never seen, but Stealth. I hated this movie when yeah. this came out. I thought this movie was so stupid. It's uh, I've heard a lot. A lot of bad from this. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a stinker. It's kind of like a Michael Bay ripoff film in a way, like put people in a plane or something. The military stealth bomber and yeah, hot action stars from the time. It's very fake, very manufactured. The Amityville Horror Collection DVD set. This is one actually I have the first three Amityville movies and the bonus disc that has kind of like a uh, documentary on it. Out of the million releases that these movies have had, I remember this one. (laughs) So many releases of these. Uh, And then we had MGM Home Entertainment DVDs. And then last, we have Kung Fu Hustle from 2004, which I think is really underrated. Yeah, I miss a lot of these, like, kind of Jackie Chan, this guy whose name I'm forgetting, that did kind of the fun Kung Fu. I kind of missed all these, so... Yeah, it's fun, goofy, uh, very odd, and I don't think American audiences knew how to embrace it. Uh, I think it's got a nice little cult following now, but, you know, still not many people I know have seen it. All right, so let's get on to the feature presentation. And now, our feature presentation. So we start with, you know, the retelling of Robbie DeFeo killing his family again. Uh, I noticed Robbie DeFeo's actually got his hair combed in this one. I, th- I think they should have made him a little bit more disheveled because when they show him in the documentaries and stuff, he's creepy. I don't think he's creepy enough in this one. I think he needs to creep him up a little bit. He kind of looks like a Rob Zombie kind of, you know, that look, that kind of hippie, long hair, Charles Manson. Manson. Yeah, kind of look. But like, yeah, definitely a polished 2005 version of it. <laughs> I think they relied heavily through like the intense like jump cuts, like very Texas Chainsaw opening with this, where it was like telling us the story through that kind of like the news clippings and like the gunshots and the flashing lights and quick, quick edits and everything. So I feel like (laughs) I didn't even notice that he was that clean cut because it was like very pop history kind of thing. Yeah. Flashes. Flashes. Yeah. It is that like, that's just what the studios were doing at that time for these reboots. They're like, ooh, these are the credits, and you've kind of seen this before. <laughs> yeah, Friday the 13th 
does it texas chainsaw does it they they all kind of do the kind of recap of the story you already know quickly uh with the mtv style editing and flashbulb sounds and flashbulb sounds <laughs> and i love that stuff i i mean i that's my era of mtv so like well, a little bit after but still it's at my era of mtv so i liked all this kind of quick cutting and stuff that like saw kicked in the door with yeah i think platinum dunes you know with their texas chainsaw massacre the amnival horror like texas chainsaw massacre i always remember the the polaroid sound and uh, when they're retelling it i think they do that well because any it's so much better than the amnival horror original credits where they just show a picture of the house for like 10 minutes while they do the opening <laughs> credits oh the 70s oh. that's what little they different. did the best <laughs> little different oh, just extend that runtime <laughs> that's why it was so nice to get the fast forward button from those old films fast forward this one doesn't need it this one beyond just the credits i mean this movie is like 89 minutes and it just flies by whereas the first one you know if we're talking comparisons the first one's over two hours or or just oh, yeah. under two hours it's right around the two hour hover mark it's um, the 70s that's what they did yeah it's a longer bigger and obviously this was an event movie for the 70s and for the 2000s it was just kind of that week's horror movie but um it, it there there's a level of like that one felt a little more prestige bigger it wasn't it was an indie horror movie still but like it felt like a bigger cultural thing this one's 89 minutes you're in you're out I do kind of like enjoy this time period's like take on the reboot kind of aspect because it is faster. It is. They're all pretty short. They're all like 90 minute films. And now we're getting a trend of reboot. I think we're kind of leaving it now, but we were just stuck in a reboot phase in the 2020s, basically. And it was like two, two plus hours. They're like, we want to give you more. And it's like, we don't want more streamline it give us the best of just give us yummy bites of it <laughs> which I, yeah which i think works in a lot of these 2000s movies the, the good ones you know like i think like i said friday 13 texas chainsaw this one uh i obviously like all of these and they take into account and i think it's tied to what we were just talking about with the, the credits they take into account that you know as an audience yeah. you've seen some of these movies before you kind of know the story so we're not going to fuck around and like give it, you know, give you two and a half hours of which I think is the reboots of today where they're like, we're going to tell you the whole story all over again. At least these are in and out. And some of, you know, my least favorite reboots from this time, like I think of like Halloween or The Fog, they just do the same thing or they're too different or too, you know, weird The these take into account, you know, the series and they're like, hey, here's what you here's the greatest hits of what you know. And then here's our story go here's the cgi <laughs> yeah and i'm like all right cool <laughs> yeah what i always really disliked about this time period is like when they took it from a rated r film and made it a pg-13 now mm-hmm. you gotta watch like the prom nights i'm thinking about mm-hmm. and there, there's so many um at least this film kind of just like stayed with the same level I would say uh, this one turned it up a notch because, of course, it's the 2005. Got to turn it up. The audience isn't going to accept slower and, you know, more storytelling. We want to get to the action, which I think this movie does well. Uh, I noticed a lot of this one. They cut out the pre stuff, which I was 
thankful for. I was actually surprised at how late he appeared in the film. Yeah, it's very very different from the first one where he almost shows up like right away in the first one. It's like a traditional blessing versus where this one was like a last attempt. Yeah, desperation. Yeah, it was a desperate, which I think makes more sense for the family because in the first one, I think there is a bigger discussion of like religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one, it's kind of devoid of that. And it kind of feels like very fresh in the new millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it. If you're going to present your audience, a priest blessing a house, I don't think a 2005 audience is going to buy that the same way that a seventies audience would buy that. So having it be, so yeah, the desperation instead is, uh, is better. And it leads it so that it's only like in the last half hour. And then the flies are, you know, crazy. Cause they basically redo the fly scene, mm-hmm. but it's, it's way crazier and way bigger. Uh, and then it's fast and it's in and it's out and we don't really need to, you know, deal with the priest and we're not focusing on her grappling with religion like in the first one here yeah which is nice because i think that stuff kind of slows it down and i i mean i hate religion stuff so that's probably why it slows <laughs> down for me but um, i liked it not being in here and i yeah, the priest stuff we sort of just kind of get a greatest hit scene with him yeah i was really happy with that because in the first one you know with the priests going blind and there's it was really weird how none of them were really religious but yet it seemed like this blessing of the house was important. This one, it's just kind of like a Hail Mary. Like, we don't know what to do. Maybe maybe yeah. this guy can help, which he doesn't. Thanks a lot, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting that, like, yeah, and now I'm really remembering the first, the first one. We really are taken out of the house a lot. We are taken to the priest we are taken to that wedding for a little bit like we are the bar the bar the community he's talking to people he that work for him and everything this movie it really is just about the family and how the dynamic changes and i think that works effectively for them that's how they're able to be quick with it and it feels more intense and it feels like there is a bigger threat because it's literally watching someone without any breakaways change Mm -hmm. drastically and then you get one dinner out and see him kind of be normal again so you know that it's the house yeah it's it being singularly focused in the house and with the family makes it so you the audience are along for the ride with them and i think it makes it almost scarier because you know you're watching this stepfather yeah, go crazy. And you're not seeing sort of other people's opinions of it. It's just you're watching it happen with this family. So it feels like you're part of it. And I think that makes it, you know, again, maybe not that anything was wrong with the 70s way of doing it, where things were maybe more community. I think it's just for the time for 2005, you know, we're in we're viewing it as the family insularly or whatever. So it's again, it's sensibilities for the time. We weren't super into religion. We, you know, we weren't so much community based anymore in 2005. It was more your own, you're on your own kind of thing. So it, I think it's just, again, it's not, it's not that one's better than the other. It's just sort of like, I think this movie is tuned more into the time. Uh, also, I think the first one was kind of like trying to be faithful to the book. And that's why it's yeah. more kind of like just, you're more concentrating on the whole story of what happened. And this one you know, we're like, yeah, the book was forever ago. Let's concentrate on the family because we want to see the characters experience this. We don't want to see like the community. 
I'm curious. I, I really should have read the book because I, I said I was going to do it in between and I completely forgot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm, it was the Ketchum thing included in the book at all? Like the historical, like uh, what, what basis is that? Do we know? Mm-mm. Yeah. Nope. So I don't know if they just added it, but I thought it was a good little detail to have kind of like a specific figure other than DeFeo. Yeah. Cause the movie does, I, I, I don't, again, I don't remember how much it goes into it, but the first movie does mention sort of the Indian burial ground mm-hmm. type storyline. And in this one, we meet the Ketchum character who is literally slaughtering and experimenting on Native Americans in his basement. And that's, that is the burial ground. So that's like a further, you know, taking it one step further. But yeah, I would wonder too if that was mentioned at all in the book. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, because in the first film, 79 it's just a red room yes this one you go down and it's like a full torture basement uh they expanded it quite a bit uh i do not know what's in the book the one big difference in this i'll shift to that i do know is in the book it was a red-eyed pig that i think jody had taken the figure of or the the house had taken the figure of i don't quite know but in this one they made it a little girl that was interesting. Uh, I think it actually works better as the little kid because, I mean, it's pretty goofy to think about a red-eyed pig mutant thing. How are you going to pull that off and actually not have the audience laugh? Pretty tough. I think it is kind of like an outdated fear-based thing. Like of the 70s, it's like, well, th- the temptation comes through all of these like demonic figures. And so like, I feel like swine and like uh, livestock. Stuff, well, yeah. livestock is such a huge thing, like represented in like religious battles, basically. Yeah. And so livestock is usually seen as demonic. So like, that's what I think heightened the audience then. But yeah, it just doesn't really translate to like, kids in the 2005 they're like what's with these pigs (laughs) yeah exactly like the creepy pig monster thing we kind of see at the end of the 70s one again this that's more what a 70s audience is going to be like oh you know satanic panic they're going to be like whoa that is like the face of satan or whatever it's scarier (laughs) that like it's a little girl who another little girl is like oh i can trust this other girl like me and that is the biggest threat yeah we have more sort of like a a physical manifestation of ghosts in this one you know when the 2005 when the sensibilities were like of like the asian ghost story movies like the ring and Mm -hmm. grudge and stuff like that we want to see the ghosts now we don't want to see sort of yeah this pig monster thing or this goat monster thing or what you know whatever representative of devil evil we want to see the demons we want to see the ghosts so yeah we're we're see jody and then we also see ryan reynolds literally sees like the faces of demons appear on all the kids and at the end his wife and everything and that's what he he's like trying to you know shake away that he's seeing them and that's what he wants to chop them up for because he keeps seeing their faces turn demonic who wouldn't want to chop that up <laughs> get away from me demon faced people <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just think that's more again playing more into the time i think it was just you, it was more 2005 way to handle we it. were hardcore we need to see the evil <laughs> yeah exactly make these yeah make these people's faces warp demonic we don't want representations of the evil let's just see the evil <laughs> uh another thing that's like made up for both movies that isn't even in the book is the babysitter now, in the 70s version, they had the babysitter, you know, with like 
she looked like a typical teenager, had like, I think, braces on or whatever, and then gets caught in the closet. Uh, and I don't really remember what happens in the closet from the 70s one, but this one. It's very similar. We get the demon girl, and then she shoves the babysitter's finger into the like bullet hole. And that was nasty. It was pretty gross and intense. And I'm like, good job for that. I believe the original one, she gets stuck in there and it's kind of like alluded to. We don't get to see on the other side of that door. And that girl comes out catatonic. Like she is like, it's over. And she scratched. She, I remember there were like fingernail clawing trying to get out. And that was the main thing that they informed us. Whereas, yeah, in this one, you get to see a really disgusting, disturbing moment for the babysitter who i thought was hilarious you just smoking a bong <laughs> a yeah bubbler in the, hitting, in the on that, hitting on a little kid you know <laughs> flirting with him just because she's bored um <laughs> yeah I, I i really like the babysitter section of this movie i think this is one of the things that makes this movie stand out is this section because it's a little fun it's a little playful but then it gets yeah crazy dark and not only is she putting her finger in this child bullet wound in her head, which is gross enough. But this babysitter used to babysit that girl too. Yeah. So there's this extra level of she knows her and she's doing this gross thing. So it's double, you know, traumatic for her. And that's a, I thought that was a really cool ending to like what I thought was like a really fun section of the movie. I did roll my eyes when they brought on the girl, you know, what she was dressed as. I go, oh, of course we have to do this. We, we had to have that trailer moment where you have a hot girl in it. The smoking hot babysitter. I was like, wow, she's really dressed up to babysit. But okay, whatever. <laughs> it's the 70s. It's crazy. It's also, it's also produced by Michael Bay. I mean, you can't have normal people in most of his movies. They have yeah. to be manufactured off the line. Now, this actress gone on to have one hell of a career. She's done a lot. Rachel Nichols. So I, oh, I, I recognized her. Yeah. I mean, she's been in, in a lot, <laughs> if you just yeah, look at her was, credits. It, in, in our Amityville Connection thing, she's in P2, which the director of Amityville Awakening did. So hmm. there is our there's our Amityville Connection thing. <laughs> Got it. Fine. That we're just making a giant string diagram where all these... Yes, tapestry. Some, <laughs> yeah. Crazy psychotic web on the wall. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there are a lot of other differences between the last movie and this that we haven't discussed. I, I don't think they do the upside down cross in this at all. The It's represented, I think, in the, the doorknob. The doorknob when the priest is there. Yeah, which is a, that trailer shot where the door oh. slams closed and it turns really quick. Looks like the ghost house the, logo. <laughs> at the very end, like once they flee the house, it resets. Yeah. Let the doorknob resets to its normal thing. And then the little, you know, it, it's the like. The stupid 2005 ending. <laughs> yeah. It, they love to do like a little. One uh, last scare. It's like silent, silent scream and then disappear. You know, it's one of those. But I, I think the upside down cross is like only represented in the doorknob which i think it's a cool little ornate detail but so it's like we're giving a little kiss to religion we're not yeah. doing the full thing we're not d digging deep into the character's struggle with religion it's just sort of kind of there the one thing i i think i've noticed a lot between this one and the 79 one is uh the little girl who keeps like just wandering off into weird places uh, i don't mm -hmm. remember that in the first one at all I think it's like the more kids as a collective in the first one. And whereas in this one, we get individual personalities of the kids mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. we're with the, the middle boy 
alone when he tries to pee in the middle of the night. And that's terrifying for a kid, like that voice talking to him and a person chasing him in his house. Um, that uh, that red-eyed demon that's in the house is terrifying too is it like a, it's like burned or skinned yeah, like something. is it some kind of effect where it's very like red and demonic looking and yeah. i think the make like the makeup work of that was pretty cool yeah that's like the scariest demon the one that that kid has to encounter. like that poor little kid <laughs> then you got chloe moritz climbing on uh the tops of the building and she's yeah. gonna like jump off and then you've got the other kid that's getting like abused by him. And he's like the one that is unsure of if he wants to have this guy in the family, you know, and now really getting tortured because of it. And it's that kid's going to have some serious therapy uh, after <laughs> all this, um, which I think that kid did need serious in real life. That kid did need some serious therapy. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious of what like the relationship is like 10 years later between that that stepfather figure and mm-hmm. that kid, because like he is a, a new teenager. He like he knows a little bit, but he's a little snotty about some stuff. Mm-hmm. But then like it gets so severe. Yeah, very fast. And I'm like, wow, I think it just really puts more of a focus on the kids and the family. Whereas, yeah, the the first one, I I pretty much only remember Josh Brolin and Kidder, you know, like James Brolin. Oh, James. So sorry. (laughs) I know they look exactly the same now at this point, but... (laughs) It's the Jay names. They throw me every time. Yeah, it is. It's totally more the focus of the two of them with the kids sort of being a collective, whereas this one spends time individually with the hauntings of the different kids. Yeah, I mean, from the first one, the only kid thing I remember is the kid getting his fingers or hands slammed into the window. Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, this one, they're like definitely trying to like, isn't it creepy that these things are happening to the, you know, the kids also? And yeah, like you said, giving them actual characteristics and, you know, you know their faces. I don't even know the faces of any of the kids from the first one. So I, I can't. I've been trying to think of a <laughs> single one of them, and I can't think at all. Are there three kids in the first one? I don't even remember. <laughs> I remember more about the priest in the first one than I do about the kids. That's. Yeah, because he was way more of a yeah. focus. <laughs> And I mean, that was kind of like telling, too, because I didn't even like the priest, but I'll never forget his face. The kids, gone. Yeah, they're absolutely. Well, I just think like kid actors sometimes, if it's an ensemble movie, they're not given a ton of attention. Whereas like in the 2000s, kid actors were like. Getting better, yeah. yeah they like better actors. Think about it, like Clor Clor Clory Moritz. I cannot Clory Moritz. <laughs> well, this little girl, like she's still acting. Yeah, exactly. So she obviously was pretty good, you know, like. And she had a name, and like I look, I did look up the other kids. Like I recognized the other two as kid actors, and I think some of them went on to do more like voice acting work and stuff. So like they're still industry, you know. Like they didn't just abandon it, but I do think. In the 2000s, like the perspective went more towards like the kid because it's scarier from a kid's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a movie like this was probably more effective on me. And I was 15 when this movie came out and this kid's supposed to be 12. So obviously I've got a connection now as a viewer when I'm watching this to that kid. And that's my then perspective watching the movie. So 
it's the, it's this R-rated movie, but like for yeah, younger audiences that were seeing these horror movies at this time, we also have a perspective shown in the movie, and I think that was another success. Let's get on to the rain scene. Uh, I think that's what most people remember from this. I mean, it's the perfect trailer spots and everything. Ryan Reynolds in his shirt with his muscles all showing, getting yeah. all crazy, and then his wife just straight up pops him in the head. This ending to me is a lot better than the original and not so much because it's just a little bit more dramatic and everything. It's because I was connected to the characters more. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really, uh, it's just really well paced. I think like the whole thing and then leading up to this big showdown kind of it's intense. You have the weather against you. You have the house against you. You have your partner against you and your entire family. He goes nuts yeah, he's evil, but then he, I can't even remember the the order of it now because the kids were on that roof too many times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, kids, just please get off the roof. That is so scary. Like them yeah. crawling on the roof in the rain and they can't see. And then the kid knocks Ryan Reynolds off the roof. Anytime like a kid's on a roof or anything like that, I'm having a heart attack. Yes, anxiety. <laughs> like, please, please get off. I, I don't care what you do. You can be a jerk. Just get off the roof. <laughs> yeah, you have no coordination. You're a baby. <laughs> please stop. There's There are more stakes in this finale yeah. than the other one. And I think, yeah, like you were saying, everything is working against them, particularly with the weather and the haunting. So there's more stakes with the ending. So I think it does make it more exciting and scarier and a more, you know, hopeless feeling too. It's like, if they don't get on this boat, they're done. That dog's already dead. Yeah. Which, did they do in the original? Yeah. They, they killed, they the, killed dog. the dog? Okay. I'm pretty sure. And, and in mean, the 70s, no dog survived. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I also wondered if too, the, like the vision that Ryan Reynolds has where he hits the axe into Melissa George uh, and mm-hmm. then kind of, or or is that her vision one of them has like a vision of that happening and then it cuts to re- back to reality and then they get out or whatever i wondered if that was like part of like an alternate ending where they were like fuck it we're gonna kill some of these people <laughs> that would be insane for him to try and get custody of those children after, after axing her i know <laughs> i don't does anyone die in no no one dies do they no they all escape Except for the dog. The dog does not make it. The dog is pretty fucked up, too. It's pretty brutal. I honestly <laughs> thought it was, like, really... Because in the first one, I believe he does, but I think it's more of, like, an alluded to. I can't fully remember. This one's sad when he kills that dog. He picks up that... He didn't realize it was the dog. hmm Because you see... I think it's smart that this one kind of shows his delusions to us. Yeah. And so it's even more sad and heartbreaking when he like kind of has a moment after he kills that dog where he is like, I'm going crazy. And he's like crying, like holding the bloody thing. But then the next day he's like paranoid and fucking crazy. Yeah, yelling at everybody again. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess we'll get on to the very end where they have to do the the crazy little 2005. They did this back in the 80s, too. Where you have to get that last scare. That was, I forgot about that. And when we discussed this from the first Amityville Horror Review way back, you know, uh, half a year ago or whatever. When I saw it on this one, I was like, oh, God, that really is bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I can defend and talk about the 2005 stuff 
all day long because I love so many of these movies. But like I can, there is it is inexcusable some of these stupid endings that these movies had, like like this. And I don't mean necessarily the ending. If you've never seen this movie, we're talking like the last like thirty seconds of this movie. The ending of this movie, like with the climax with the rain and them getting out. It's pretty good, I think. But I'm talking about like the last 30 seconds. Your little epilogue or whatever punch that you get at the end. So stupid. And they did this all the time. You have your ghost girl that has been throughout this entire house and manipulating the whole family. It's just the little ghost girl standing in the middle of the thing. And then does she scream? Yeah, she screams and gets pulled through the floor. And then she gets pulled through the floor with ghost hands coming out. And then like the little teddy bear is just left or whatever. And I just think that that became such a huge thing in the 2010s. Yeah, they really, they took it. Blumhouse was like, we have to end every movie with a silent stagnant shot, a scream, and someone being pulled off screen. Yes, it's either the evil coming towards camera or, yeah, being pulled off screen. Uh, Blumhouse still loves this ending and they like they've carried this from the 2000s and uh it didn't work then and it still doesn't work now <laughs> they're so stupid <laughs> the only one i liked i think was sinister when they did the kind of boo scare with uh mr boogie but then they did it in sinister 2 again and it was stupid <laughs> <laughs> can't you can't double down on that you only get exactly. one of them <laughs> you only get one good one yeah <laughs> Oh, will they ever learn? Nope. <laughs> I don't think they will. I just think it's like impossible for them to learn. And it doesn't really do anything for the movie because if you think of the original Amityville, we talked about it. It's pretty abrupt of an ending. Like they literally drive away. and we They get in the car and they go. <laughs> we don't even get to see their reactions in the car. The car is gone and the credits roll. Yeah. And so this one, they get away on the boat this time. So it's a little different. I think the boathouse is featured more because I was thinking that the boathouse was featured more in the original. And then when we watched it, I was like, no, that's totally the Ryan Reynolds version. (laughs) (laughs) But like they get away on the boat and it really takes a second to like zoom into everyone's face and like breathe. And then they return to the house and have the little scream. And I'm just like, it doesn't add anything to it. We know that the house is evil. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And are we supposed to feel for this little girl? Because this little girl was trying to kill the other little girl. It's a little complicated. Yeah, I just think the creepy ghost girl got so popular because of the ring that they, yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like they stuck this in it because of the ring. Yeah. And all the creepy ghost girls look like the ring. They look very tired, very pale, wettish kind mm-hmm. of stringy hair. It is like, I mean, the ring messed my life up for a while. So I understand, but I, I don't fear this girl, you know? So like, it's not necessary to end it with that. I call them the Blumhouse endings now because they're the only ones still doing it and they're still doubling down on it. These endings, it was just very of the time. And uh, the again, the ghost girl was very of the time. Mm-hmm. It's just for better or worse. You know, we got all the good stuff, I think, from the time with the pacing of the movie and the gore and sort of the, the family perspective. Yeah, great effects. I think KMB did the effects for this one. Um, great gore effects. We've got all these pluses, but we got to take the uh, <laughs> the minuses too from the time. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder, like, do little girl ghosts like not have blow dryers? I mean, it's bad enough being a ghost, but do you have to be wet? Like, have wet hair the entire time? <laughs> is it like the ectoplasm? <laughs> I don't know. I think like the in between world is just misty. Maybe. Silent Hill. <laughs> yeah. 
like a good like the humidity is really high in the air it's it's kind of that misty feeling that is their entire life that's terrible i'm sorry ghosts yeah oh i i have like asthma and stuff like too much humidity and i'm just gonna be like wheezing all over the place i can't get a thing done i can't haunt someone in those conditions <laughs> are you kidding me i'm just imagining you behind me and you're like I'm like, I can hear you. <laughs> Ashley, I can hear you. You're like, you're not sneaking up on me. You're like, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's my labored breathing from this is awful. I can't do this as a ghost. Ghost plane is so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would be my nightmare. I'm like, I feel like I'm in fucking Florida right now. The humidity is awful. And my hair looks like trash. <laughs> I mean, that's where all the old people are in Florida. Is Florida <laughs> the in-between world? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, it's too hot. I don't want to go down there. <laughs> I just can't deal with the in-between world. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. I just simply cannot. <laughs> I just want to go to hell. and I guess that's Arizona, where it's just pure hot. It's heat. You know, I'm down for hell if it's a dry heat. <laughs> yeah. My hell would be like a wet heat. Yeah, I don't do well with that. <laughs> Maybe don't verbalize that so they, they don't take notes of that. <laughs> oh, too late. It's on podcast format. We're done. <laughs> it's forever. <laughs> okay, let's end this review on this one and let's pop on over to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back to our Amityville wing of the museum, which is enormous. It's too big. We can't contain it. We have to like let's we have to create our own Amityville museum. I think that's how it is. We've got too much. And the we know the evil escapes. So <laughs> it's going to be in any object we have. <laughs> yeah. That's why we can't have giveaways at this museum. It'll haunt everyone. Yes. Not from the Amityville wing. That's under lock and key. In fact, I think we just wrote another Amityville movie right there. We create an Amityville <laughs> museum. Someone steals one of the artifacts and they are then haunted. Guys, like, I think we should seriously take this conversation offline and like work <laughs> on a screenplay. <laughs> we should absolutely create this together. And people will be like, you know what? It's just wacky that I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> They got artifacts from all of them. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so I'll let the guests go first. Ashley, what do you have for the 2005 Wing of the Museum? I think I have a pretty fun addition for this Amityville remake. It's going to be haunted refrigerator magnets. <laughs> I would like to put those in because, you know, there's nothing spookier than coming in and being like, I didn't write that on the refrigerator. I didn't write catch him and kill him on the refrigerator. <laughs> you know? But they're so cute and childlike. So it's a little bit conflicting when you see threatening messages in little child block letters. So I'm going to put some refrigerator magnets in the museum. <laughs> yeah, golf clap like for very oh, original. <laughs> thank you thank you so yeah. much i am very original oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, matt what do you got i think i just gotta put in the gore uh this is like my uh what i was living on at the time was, this was all i was ingesting was these kind of movies and i was obsessed with how gory and stuff they all were at this time and i think amping up the gore level in this one makes it more sort of relevant for the time and makes it 
kind of creepier for, again, the time. So the gore is the sort of thing that represents the modernization, I guess, of this movie, uh, you know, making it a 2005 one. And I thought it was all really effective. And I think it was can be that all the effects for this, I think. I, I don't do research, so I don't know. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they did. It uh, is a weak point for you. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure they did, and they did a really good job, and I thought the movie was nice and gross in the parts where it needed to be, and some of the ghosties and goblins and demons looked pretty creepy in the movie, so that was I like the kind of effects in the gore. So a bowl of goo. Nice. Bowl of mm-hmm. goo. Bowl of blood we're putting in there. <laughs> yeah, when Ryan Reynolds gets sprayed by the blood in the torture room, that was a very good visual, yeah. Yes, it looks good. It's saturated. <laughs> yeah, and he slits his throat and he sprays him. Yeah, it looks really cool. In my part of the museum for this, I was really impressed with all the costumes. Ryan Reynolds was wearing at one point with the like the, the suede jacket, I think it was, or a tweed jacket. Mm-hmm. Is that what that is? I think there was like a... Early on, I think it was mm-hmm. a tweed jacket. Tweed, and I think there was a lot of use of corduroy. There's a lot of yeah. textured like layers in it. Yeah, textured. Textured costumes. That's how what I would because I remember the babysitter also with that, you know, get up that she had. And I mean, those pants were wearing her. I don't think she was wearing those pants. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. And and then, of course, it has to be highlighted with the drenched sweater that Ryan Reynolds is wearing at the Mm. end. Because, I mean, come on. That man literally sold 60, 70, 80 percent of the tickets. I do just like think he could go in the museum <laughs> 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 because I could look at that all day. <laughs> well, you're going to get a giant picture of it. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the vapors, everyone. <laughs> she needs to sit down. <laughs> Scrumptious. Yeah, no, I'm like wheezing in a corner. Just like, look at that man. Look at him. Well, luckily for you, I have I have the same body yes. as Ryan Reynolds. That so is why I'm with you. Luckily, you've got that going for you. Uh, that's yeah. It's gonna say I'm gonna put a T-shirt together for you where it's Ryan Reynolds' body, and I'm just gonna poorly Photoshop Matt's face on it, and I'm like, that pretty much looks like Matt. No, you should just get the body, and Matt will wear the shirt. Oh, so it looks like it's <laughs> like one of. But it's more like a bobblehead. He's going to push out the abs. It's going to look wonderful. It's going to look wonderful. Oh, my God. That's a great Halloween costume is Brian Reynolds from Amityville. And we're going to paint those abs on, baby. Let's do it. I mean, just accentuate your already Already natural physique. (laughs) That is exactly the same as his in this movie. None of this is getting cut. <laughs> it should because it's true. <laughs> We're only spouting facts here. Yeah. Pure gold. Uh, the last thing we'll end with is I. We're not going to do a full rating uh, rankings of this. this. That'll take forever. There's like 800 films, even though we only did 10. Uh, but I will ask you, what is your most enjoyable? This mostly goes to Matt because I know. Ashley luckily didn't go through the full torture. Um, I an- saw, unfortunately, that fucking uh, art show one like nine times because of all the bonus features on there <laughs> that Matt was watching. And I was like, what the fuck is this movie? And you're like, it's an Amityville movie. And I was like, how on earth is this an Amityville movie? <laughs> Cursed <laughs> They took it out of the house. So yeah, I didn't see all 10, but I did catch glimpses of some of them. Okay. Uh, well, do you have a best and a worst, Ashley? 
uh, moments of Amityville. Ah, uh, you can, yeah, do moments if that's what oh, you want. Or, or uh, films. I don't know. You guys discuss, and I'll, I'll okay. think of it. Okay. I think uh, for me, still, I do like a lot of the later sequels, and I, I really like Dollhouse, and I like the art museum one. I like, <laughs> I like New Generation quite a bit too. But I think my two favorites in the series are the first one and this one. <laughs> um, it's like it. Some of the stuff in the sequels is fun and works and stuff like that. And uh, I could pretty quickly rank them. I mean, I'm I'm like one, this one, eight, seven, the next one, Awakening, and then the rest are just you know whatever. It's probably six, three, two, uh, four, five, because four and five were garbage. Um, but that quickly what I could do here for this, but, uh, I like the first two or the first one. And then this remake, probably the two mm-hmm. best and the worst is easily five easily. Yeah. I think, yeah, the original one, this one, I think are my favorite as in like, these are actually good crafted films. Uh, I think the one where I laugh at the most is dollhouse. That was pretty absurd. Um, I also watched that at night with a drink in me, and I just felt like I had the giggles on that because it was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, that was entertaining. I think the most absurd parts is definitely number four, like with the kid with the chainsaw. That movie's just so bad, but it was pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, I thought the ones that are, you know, the the second one is in the middle. It's gross, but it's kind of memorable because it's gross. Uh, and the ones that I have no interest in ever rewatching again is The Awakening, Next Generation. No, I don't. Those to me. And and five. Five is by far the worst. It's so boring. I watched it like, I don't know, what did we do that half a year ago? And I can't tell <laughs> you five minutes of the film. I mean, nothing happens for most yeah, of it. So, it's yeah, like, it's that one. That one is really tough. That that one was the hardest to watch. Amityville Curse, ladies and gentlemen, stay away from that one. <laughs> yeah. And I think the two most memorable, ridiculous, memorable scenes is the chainsaw from number four. And then the kids picture from Dollhouse yeah. is you just saw that one. Oh, oh the, the lusting after yes. the mom lusting. Oh, my God. I should have did that episode. <laughs> I only saw, I have seen it before, but then I only saw like 30 minutes of it when he was watching and I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie is so stupid. It's so silly. It's so, that would, again, I'd still say of all of them, uh, I would, this would be the one I would screen somewhere mm-hmm. because I think an audience would just get a kick, especially out of that scene with the picture getting closer of the kid shirtless kid playing basketball oh my god it's wonderful (laughs) and then the most menacing animal or insect of all time one single wasp oh yes in also dollhouse right they're trapped in a shed with a wasp and they treat it like it's the scariest scene of all time and it's like just leave just (laughs) there's one wasp in there just go outside But they treat it like they're trapped with a demon, but it's one little wasp. I mean, that would be me in that situation. I don't like bugs, so I would be freaking out too. But yeah, just walk outside. <laughs> yes. And I always feel sorry for that actress from the 70s show. She goes topless in a movie in the exact same scene where they are terrified by a single wasp. And I wish I could go she back in the past. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could go back in the past and I would just talk to her. I go, are you sure 
you want to do a nude scene for this. Yeah, Dollhouse is a blast. I think that one's so, that's probably the best sequel for sure. Easy, the best sequel because it's so fun. I think it stands out to me because um, the character, I think it's Doug, he, the, the the lustful son that she's pining for, you know, that hot piece of ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he plays like Doug, I think like the dorky guy who works at Quake in Charmed, like the early seasons of Charmed. And like, that is the only reason I looked up and I'm like, what he doing? Like, what's he up to? And then I was like, oh, something is very amiss here. <laughs> Mom's horny for the basketball. When he was playing basketball, I was like, this kid is the least attractive. And she's having like a fever attack in the bathroom watching him play basketball. No, she's in the kitchen and her husband's talking to her. Well, no, but then she goes upstairs and she's like almost masturbating and she's just like, (laughs) she's like in heat about it. She's like, She's like sweating. That woman was in heat the entire (laughs) movie. How am I supposed to remember? It's just hard. I think it's really telling that these movies, like you're like, which ones are your favorite? And apparently I've seen all of them. I just don't know they're Amityville movies (laughs) because they're not. You know what I mean? To me, Amityville is that fucking house. It's the original one and this one. And those are the ones that matter. You know, like it just tells the simple story and we don't need the rest. (laughs) They can be their own random, horrible horror movies. But like using the Amityville name just felt kind of slutty (laughs) at a time. You know, it was indulgent. Yeah, they they literally Mm -hmm. have what they call the, the cursed object section. Of the movie, they, like, is it? Why are you not using objects that are defining to the originals? You yeah, know what I mean, why isn't it like a, a doorknob cross type thing like they show in this movie? Why is it a mirror or a clock or? Uh, why didn't they use the clock? Yeah, it's not even the clock. It's it's a cuckoo clock they use. In I'm the sorry. Do you one. remember jo- not Josh Brolin? Goddamn, James Brolin looking in that tacky mirror. <laughs> That the Tales was... from the Crypt mirror that's in A New Generation. <laughs> well, I think the most obvious one is why doesn't someone buy the axe from a flea market that yes. is from the house? Like, that is the most obvious object in the first film. And they just like, uh, no, we're not going to use that. Let's no. use this Lamp, random mirror. <laughs> mirror and dollhouse. <laughs> I'm going to make Amityville boat. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the boat's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the boat seat, it's it's the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) And you can now. That's a thing we've seen that this series has, I guess, sort of opened up. People have realized that the Amityville name is public domain because it's an actual house. It's an actual place. I've seen Amityville Island. Yes. So there's a bajillion now is when they realize that anybody can make it somewhere in the early 2010s. Now there have been a bajillion sort of unofficial Amityville movies like Amityville Island and Amityville Death House it's and bad, don't want Amityville Haunting. Oh, no. Amityville Island is a classic of garbage cinema. Oh, don't you dare use the word classic <laughs> like that. <laughs> I I regret nothing when I screened Amityville Island. I was stoned at my own screening, but I thought it was a good time. <laughs> and don't forget about the classic Amityville dildo. Amityville vibrator. Oh, vibrator. Damn it. Yes. I haven't seen that one yet, but yeah. life is I got some life still left in me, so who knows, maybe someday. <laughs> I'm going to go opposite. Life's too short to watch that shit. No, I'm not doing it. 
Let's watch anything else. You think? <laughs> no, I think I, I do think after this, I am pretty done with the Amityville series. I'm not really going to seek out any of these other backyard Amityville ones that I haven't promise? already seen. Do you promise? I promise. I don't have much interest in them. I really don't. I had a lot of interest in doing the original classic series. I wanted to go through the 10 movies that were in the actual series. That was what I wanted to do. And I feel like for better or worse, I've done it. You know, I've come out on the other end of it. I don't really have any interest in these other ones. Although I would make one because why not? Anyone can. I'll make an Amityville. It's Amityville Museum. <laughs> the Amityville Museum. <laughs> uh, and I can't wait to find my revenge on you for making me watch this entire franchise. Sure, I've had some good times, but... As a whole, I just can't wait. I, I'm going to be like the murderous Ryan Reynolds. Just, oh, yeah, I got a franchise for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see what you torture. <laughs> if it's, it's probably going to have to have religion or yep. something. Yep, <laughs> you know it. The ones that I can't fucking stand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, we got to learn about God. That's gonna, if you give me one of those, just just know I'm going to watch every one of those movies as baked as humanly possible. So, <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> you got to even it out somehow. <laughs> it's the only way to keep sane. Okay, that will end our Amneville franchise. It's been a journey. It's been quite a ride. But before we leave, Ashley, Matt, tell them where they can listen to your smooth sounding voices. Oh my gosh, if you want some more of this, uh, you can head on over to either Spotify or iTunes. I believe we're on Google Play, all the things. I don't know, like anywhere you listen pretty much. And check out AF High List. We get stoned, watch very prestigious films and talk about them. We just recently did Tootsie, Stagecoach. We're about to hit it with um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're having a good time over there. So yeah, just check it out. We're also in the back half of that list. So it's definitely been a better journey now because they're not all these just musty, old, sad war movies. Like now we're finally in a period where we're like kind of talking about the movies that like we like. (laughs) It's funny because we're like, oh yeah, we're talking about like the 19th Amityville movie and like, yeah, that's bad. But sometimes watching a dusty oldie moldy movie from like the 30s that you like really just have no connection to is quite torturous as well even with its prestige yeah (laughs) even with prestige i had more fun watching the amityville 10 movies than i did best years of our lives uh (laughs) or what were some of the other dumb war movies that i couldn't stand i put them out of my mind as soon as we do mash oh fuck mash (laughs) i hated that fucking movie uh yeah i've had way more fun watching the amities than i have those but that's the fun of that podcast is that sometimes we watch movies that are really prestigious and well-regarded and we get stoned and we shred them to pieces. <laughs> we shred them because they don't need any more praise. They've gotten that already. <laughs> Listen to our It's a Wonderful Life episode where we talk about the ass editing in that movie. <laughs> yeah, because that's what people are concerned about on Christmas when they're watching It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> you know what's funny? I uh, There was a podcast that I was listening to not long ago where someone called that one of the most overrated uh, Christmas yes. movies they've ever seen scene and it led to a massive argument on this podcast that isn't even about movies and it was spectacular dude like i think people are kind of seeing that and they like when you sit down and you watch the whole way you're like wow this is a pretty miserable fucking movie that has very little to do about christmas 
Yeah. <laughs> so why do we have to watch it all the time? And if you're looking for a good Christmas movie, look, watch Christmas in Connecticut. It's a wacky fun time. That's and, my recommendation. <laughs> and, you know, listen, take it, take a listen to our podcast, too. We're not all, always just shredding the classics. We fall in love with movies like Rebel Without a Cause we just watched mm. recently. And uh, we really, really, really get into like why that movie is considered so amazing and should be talked about still even more so it's also that too so check out af high list on all your things and hear us to just talk about the classics with weed in us <laughs> lots <laughs> maybe that's the best way to watch the classics it is because the good ones are even better and the bad ones you know you're not afraid to call out their bullshit yeah rebel without a cause like we were stoned but like we were dead silent like engrossed in it and then sometimes you gotta really like stagecoach that's not doing a lot they're they're in a horse and buggy we're gonna talk the whole time <laughs> yeah i'm not into the ride em cowboy westerns so the horse and buggy westerns as i called them in that podcast i'm not into those so you know we had a we had a lot of tangents and stuff in that one. So, yeah there's some fun roads that our high brains go down and stuff like that so if you think we're funny check us out af high list on all the things so come back next week where we take on another huge franchise. Well, I wouldn't say Amityville is a huge franchise in size. This next franchise is huge in sci-fi prestige. As voted on by you listeners, you wanted us to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be interesting. I know there's going to be a lot of differences in opinions. Ashley will be back for one of those episodes as well. Yeah, it's going to, oh, this this next one, it's going to be the last one before I have a kid. So it'll be the last one that will all kind of make sense. Because after that, I'll be sleep deprived and probably just a zombie. I can't wait for those episodes. <laughs> yes, man, I agree with you. Everything was. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I'm like, here's why Amityville New Beginning is a really good movie. <laughs> and I just take over the Five reasons why Amityville New Generation is worth your time. (laughs) I can't believe only one person downloaded that episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So remember to be kind. And rewind.